When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the writer and director for Pixar's Turning Red, Domi Shade. Let's go. I'm Maylin Lee. I wear what I want, say what I want, 24 7, 365. I know, it's a lot. But I don't got time to mess around. All about the hustle, am I right? Poor town. This is gonna be the best year ever, and nothing's gonna get in my way. May May, breakfast is ready. everything okay? I'm a gross red monster! Don't look at me! Stay back! This happened already? What did you say? Our ancestors had a mystical connection with red pandas. Are you kidding me? This little quirk runs in our family! Sick. I've always wanted a tail. I'm a freak. We love you, May. You're our girl. <sighs> Whoa. You're you. Any strong emotion yes! will release the panda. Abby, hit me. <gasps> oh. Do you know how dangerous this is? You'll get whipped up into a frenzy and panda all over. <laughs> I've been perfect little May May. But maybe I like this new me. <laughs> Mama's girls. Stop! Domi, I am such a big fan. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with me about your film, Turning Red. Yeah, of course. So I know Pixar films take forever to make, um, and they often change a lot throughout production. Um, so I was wondering, how different is Turning Red from what you originally pitched? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I feel like the thing that stayed the most consistent were the main characters, like this, and this central relationship between this tween girl and her mom, and her struggling with magical puberty. Uh, and growing up. Uh, I, I always pitched it that way. Um, and the plot itself changed a lot throughout production. When I initially pitched Turning Red, um, it was a story about a girl struggling with being her mom's perfect daughter uh, and this, you know, raging hormonal magical beast that emerges from her. But um, there was also this subplot with um, this family feud. There were more characters there was this um, aunt 
that that uh, was in the story uh, and the aunt and May's mother were fighting over control of the temple. May had a male cousin who also turned into a red panda uh, dude, <laughs> a male red panda. And it was more about um, this family feud uh, and less focused on, um, you know, like female puberty and and uh, this, uh, you know, the relationship between mothers and daughters and grandmothers. And um, I think through working with Julia Cho, our writer for the movie, um, we realized that like, you know, you only have so much time uh, or you only have so much screen time to talk about one thing. And uh, I think the element, the, the theme that really resonated with me was this like mother daughter story and how um, different generations deal with puberty, with growing up, with dealing with their emotions. And I think we latched onto that and uh, cut everything else around uh, that theme that that didn't like, that that wasn't directly exploring that theme. Um, yeah. What were the things that made you hone in on female puberty, working with this relationship between mothers and daughters, uh, topics typically avoided, honestly, um, in in film. Yeah, I think it's it's exactly that. It's that these topics are not really talked about or explored in movies. And we thought it'd be such a great opportunity using this movie uh, as, a, as a platform to really like dive into uh, puberty through the lens of a girl struggling to come to terms with her body and her emotions and her mom. Um, and um, I really just wanted this movie to be for my 13 year old self uh, who was going through all of the things that May was going through um, at the time. And, um, you know, really just uh, kind of use this movie as an opportunity to show the world, like uh, to show men and boys um, a deeper look inside the girls and women in their lives. And just to kind of open that up a bit and just to reveal different aspects and dimensions to these weird, wonderful creatures that they uh, share their lives with. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, you you did just, you know, compare yourself to the character, seeing yourself in the story. Um, obviously, uh, th like we said, there is this central mother-daughter relationship. I, I don't know how much of this is, is, you know, reflective of your relationship with your mom. But mm -hmm. I am curious what your mom thinks of this film, uh, what what she thought or what conversations you might have had leading up if you warned her, you know, about anything. I'm just curious what that uh, reaction was. Yeah. Uh, so I had made a short film uh, before Turning Red called Bow that was also inspired by my relationship with my mother, but told more from the mother's point of view. And my mom's one request when I started this movie was make sure the mother is more attractive this time. <laughs> uh, and I was like, noted. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, I, I told her beforehand that, you know, like this movie is going to take inspiration from our lives, but I'm going to exaggerate it um, and abstract it and just, you know, make it fun and crazy and entertaining for, for animation. It's not going to be a one-to-one. -one. Don't look too, too closely at the characterization of the mom. 
Um, and uh, uh, when I finally did show her and my father the the finished movie, um, this was at the premiere in Toronto. Um, you know, both of them had very like uh, in character responses to the movie. So my dad is like he's a, he's more sensitive and you know more like wears his heart on his sleeve uh, versus my mom. So he like cried. He was so proud of me. He like said that all on the spot right after the movie and then my mom I think it took her like a day to fully process the movie and she was very you know like very like high-spirited very happy but then she like the next day sent me a really really long text like kind of analyzing all of the details of the movie that she loved and I didn't I was like blown away by like she, she, she like mentioned like little things like hair color and I love how you did this and this and this and then she ends the whole text with uh, I hope I was a good mother. And of course I was like crying and I was like, of course. And, and, and I texted back, no, of course you were. I couldn't be here without you. I love you, mom. Da, da, da. And then she responds back through text. I'm crying now. And I, and I responded back, me too, mom. So that was like our, our like cathartic mother daughter uh, moment, but it was done like after the fact and through text, which seems very Asian and appropriate. <laughs> That's really beautiful, though. Uh, oh. Was she, uh, was she pleased with the character design? Oh yeah, I mean, she's so <laughs> proud of the movie. She's so and she's so flattered that Sandra Oh played her. It was so funny uh, at the premiere in Toronto. Like she finally got to meet Sandra Oh, and and all she could say, like she was so starstruck. All she could say was like, Sandra Oh, I love you. I I love you. And she said it three times, and I was like, wow. Like she ne- she literally never says I love you to me her own daughter and that was actually like a thing that we had to battle like like through the movie like the 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 writing of the movie was that like oh we can't have the mother say I love you to the to the daughter because you know uh Asian moms don't say it with words but she just said it so like freely to Sandra I was like what come on wow wow (laughs) oh man why do I feel like these days so many um animated films are tackling these relationships between whether it's mothers and daughters, just just parents and their children. Why do you think this is such a a topic that we're seeing so much more of these days? Uh, I feel like we typically have avoided working through our parent and children relationships, but now we seem to be more open with it. Yeah, I think it honestly is like this generation of filmmakers. Like I think, you know, millennials and beyond, I think we... um, are kind of uh, more encouraged or in in tune with our emotions. You know, we promote going to therapy. We promote like, you know, uh, uh, unpacking why we feel a certain way. Whereas I think like maybe our parents' generation or older generations were taught to kind of suppress it or to kind of ignore it. Um, And I think you're kind of seeing with this new crop of filmmakers um that they're no longer just trying to like push it aside or put like a one-dimensional face to you know a bad guy or um you know some uh, a, a traumatic experience that happens in a character's past that um I think there's like a a need and a want to kind of dive deeper into why people are the way that they are uh, I know that's the case for me too. Like I think for a long time, 
Um, I didn't want to visit that part of my my childhood and and my teenhood because it was so embarrassing and so cringy and so weird. And um, kind of just accepted that, yeah, you know, parents are this way and teens are this way and that's it. But um, I think, uh, you know, through the process at Pixar where they really kind of like force you to kind of dive deeper into the characters and not just tell one dimensional stories about good guys and bad guys. I think I was able to kind of, you know, uh, discover a lot about, um, not just myself, but also like my mom and like the perspective that of, you know, what it's like to be, uh, an immigrant, uh, parent and, and why, you know, this like image or, or this idea of like a tiger mom even comes into play or like, like where that even came from. So I think, yeah, I think it's all just from this, uh, this like want to uh, um, understand people more. In putting that story on the screen, you know, the movie's almost a year old at this point, or a year since its release. Uh, what are you most proud of? Wow. Um... Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. I mean, I'm so, I'm proud of so many things about the movie. I think, I think I'm most proud of, um, I think the ending, uh, the ending of the movie, you know, where we're at the Four Town concert and May's family are there and it's just, and it, it all culminates into this crazy, weird, wonderful mashup of, you know, a four town song with Taoist chanting and, and orchestrate, you know, like, like, a, like an orchestral score and there's like magic and the entire uh, stadium is singing. Uh, it just, it just felt so satisfying and, and so amazing that we were able to achieve that emotional moment. Cause on paper it, um, it did, you know, like I, it was a hard sell. Cause I was like, yeah, it's going to be like a, like a musical mashup and no one knew if Dallas chanting and nineties boy band music would sound good together. Uh, but I had hope um, that, that it would because it symbolically represented, you know, May and, 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 um, and the journey that she went through of like understanding that she's not this or that she can't choose between East or West or her family and her friends and, and herself, that it's all of it. It's all like a beautiful, messy thing. Um, and I'm just so proud that we were able to show that instead of say it, we like actually showed it with music and animation and, 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 and like colors and, and, and imagery and, and, and you felt it. Um, and that that whole moment came together at the very very end too. Uh, it was something that like took literally the entire team, uh, the the entire crew to to do. Uh, so that that moment is what I'm most proud of. Well, I definitely had wanted to ask you about the music of the film. I mean, the firepower you've got in this film is crazy. Billie Eilish, Phineas, Ludwig Göransson, 
crazy. Tell me about putting together the the music for this film from the four town songs to the score. Yeah, so we knew um early on that you know like we needed good music for this movie. Um but the that that the story element of May and her friends wanting to get to the concert like that wasn't in the initial draft. That was something that we that kind of landed maybe in the second or third screening um because we thought like oh like why not play into her character like play into the specificity of being 13 how it does feel like life or death getting to a concert and um once we realized that the role of four town was going to be much bigger um i think it was Lindsay who brought up the idea of like why not uh enlist the help of the people who can speak to that generation of of kids and young adults who can like write lyrics that can like speak to you know may and her friends hearts and uh and uh we were like were we didn't know if billy and phineas were gonna say yes but we made a very earnest may like plea to them like we actually uh, constructed a scrapbook <laughs> that was like for Billy and Phineas and we like cut it out of like newspaper uh lettering it, it, it like felt very like 13 it felt very tween and fun we like made fake ticket stubs uh we like made fake post-it uh notes just like a pitch package that like basically sold um the vibe of the of the movie and and what their what we wanted their role to be is basically like do you guys want to create a boy band with us um and who can say no to that uh and uh, and they said yes and that was amazing and um and i think it's because you know like Billy, you know, she, she comes from that world as well. Like she was obsessed with Justin Bieber. She had his, you know, photos and posters plastered all over her uh, bedroom. So I think she, she like knew what it was like to want to go to a concert so badly. Um, and uh, and yeah, and then when we thought about the the score for the movie, like we realized like we need somebody who could like not just come up with like big dramatic exciting you know like music to like uh, uh, score all the emotional moments of the movie but we also needed them to like have like some knowledge of pop and music production because it'd be great to incorporate some of the uh four town songs and that that element into the score itself and then Ludwig Göransson's name just like you know like it, it felt so obvious because he has so much experience not just with film score but with music production as well um and we pitched it to him and I think it resonated with him as well um so it all just kind of came together but we we actually like every single time we like we poured our hearts out and we like pitched the shit <laughs> <laughs> out of the movie and really tried to get um each collaborator kind of on board with with May and 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 her character and her journey. Well worth it. I love the four town songs. It's so good. <laughs> uh and the score as well. Amazing. Well, this is your directorial debut, your featured directorial debut for Pixar. And also you have the distinction of being one of the youngest Pixar directors, which is really cool. And so I was kind of thinking I'm I'm guessing you're probably the first Pixar feature director to have grown up, at least in some way, watching Pixar films. Um, I feel like that gives you, so I got to give you a unique perspective, right? Helming helming a Pixar film now. Yeah, it's pretty surreal. I mean, I tried not to think 
too much about it while I was making turning red because it just it would feel so daunting like having such big shoes to fill um but uh you know, I, I, I definitely leaned a lot on Pete Doctor, our EP, and um, and it, it, it and it gave me some comfort knowing that when he first made Monsters Inc., he was also quite young as well, and he didn't know what he was doing, um, as well. So I kind of, yeah, I, 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 I leaned on that. And I'm like, okay, I'm like not the very first young director. He did it too. I just have to make something just as good as Monsters, Inc. Okay, no, no pressure, no big deal. <laughs> um, but I think also too, just like thinking about how different each Pixar film is and real and, you know, reminding myself it's not about, you know, like I can't be Pete Doctor, I can't be Andrew, I can't be Brad. I have to just be myself and create this, my, my own lane. Um, and I think that's that's what helped me not get too overwhelmed with with, with the pressure of like, I can't I, like I'm not going to be better. I'm just going to be different. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of pressure, the film received rave reviews, now getting awards buzz, awards nominations, those sorts of things. And obviously you're you're already an Oscar winner for Bao. Um, and so you've been through this whole weird award season thing before. What feels different or does anything feel different this second time around going through award season? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I haven't done it in a while. The last time I did it was like four or five years ago for Bao. I guess I just forgot about the whole, like the whole, you know, Hollywood, uh, uh, circus. It's, it's kind of a circus and you kind of just have to surrender to it and just have fun and just go along for the ride. Um, I think the biggest difference this time is, uh, more people have seen turning red and because it was a feature film, I'm in like, other, I'm, I'm in different rooms with like, I don't know, like, I feel like I'm, I'm, it's like I'm a kid at the adults table now, uh, which still feels kind of freaky, uh, like, you know, chatting with people like Ryan Johnson or James Cameron. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I, I'm your peer. How is that possible? <laughs> uh, but no, no, I, I have to keep reminding myself it is, I am technically their peer and I have to try to get them to watch the movie and love it too. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm just, you know, have having fun this time around. It's, it feels a lot bigger uh, and more overwhelming, but really fun at the, at the same time. It's, I mean, all of this, like it doesn't matter and it does too. It's weird. It's like, it's the glitzy cherry on top of a already impressive Sunday. Um, but the movie's done. It's been received really well. It, it reached the audience that it was supposed to. And now it's just about celebrating it. And I feel like it's like, for me, it's about celebrating all of the amazing work that the crew has done. And just, you know, um, I will continue to, you know, champion that. So, yeah, absolutely. And we want to keep celebrating it. Such an amazing film. One last question before I let you go. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. OK, oh, um, something amazing that you used to do on Instagram is post sketches as of, of films that you were watching. And one of my favorite things you did. You look nervous. I I hope this doesn't make you. <laughs> Wait, which one? <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things that you've done is uh, you you reviewed a year's movies as if they were food. Yeah, <laughs> and had amazing <laughs> sketches for those. Yes. Uh, I think I think you had Dunkirk as like a hearty piece of toast with <laughs> with like hand churned butter. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so if you were to draw a few sketches, films from this year and review them as foods, uh, hit me with a couple. What what would you draw? Ooh. Ooh. Uh, okay. Um, of everything everywhere. Uh, it's too easy to say like a bagel. It has to be something else. It has to be like, um, what, what would it be? It'd be like some kind of fusion dish, like a, mm. like a, like a sushi cake with like different ingredients in there, like, like a mashup of different like Asian and Western ingredients for every tier. And then you'd bake it. Uh, and it'd be like delicious, but like weird and not something you've ever seen before. Um, let's see. Avatar. Uh, what would that be? I would just be like a, like a really satisfying but really like uh like filling um like traditional uh like i don't know like like thanksgiving meal like like it's it goes on for three hours long and there's multiple courses but it's all classic ingredients like it's turkey it's not anything like but it's really, really, really well, well made. And the stuffing is like amazing and stuff, but it's like really, and, and it's like crowd pleasing and everyone loves it and everyone loves pumpkin pie, you know, like it, it'd be that kind of a, a, a meal. And then um, also I like glass onion. I guess that would be like, what would that be? That would be like, again, it's like in the title, <laughs> but I guess it would be like, um, oh, it'd be like a, like something like a deconstructed uh you know like a like a deconstructed shepherd's pie or something where like each it'd be like a potato and then peas and then like some pastry puff on the side like everything will be laid out very clearly and separately and very and very spelled out <laughs> that's I all it. i got that's all i, I got. love it i love it <laughs> Maybe we can see some of those sketches another time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Domi, again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the film, and, and best of luck. Thank you so much, Daniel. Have a thank good one. Thank you. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with the writer and director of Turning Red, Domi Sheep, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Turning Red is up for your consideration for this year's Academy Awards for Best Animated Feature Film. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time.
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, I think that was good enough. I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. <laughs> so, no. Right.